Hi, and welcome to the Bleeding Edge podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Benker, and today on the show, we have Joe Mulcahy. I hope I've said your name right. Joe, welcome to the show. Hi, Ralph. Lovely to be here. Now, Joe, uh, you are the founder of Kings Road Fashion Boutiques, and uh, you're also the founder of the Boutique Owners Network, a community supporting fashion industry professionals and boutique owners. Now, uh, I, I, I think that word support is obviously the key one there. Uh, the group is either very, very busy at the moment or very quiet. Which one is it? <laughs> it's intermittently quiet. I think people have been um, yeah, responding to the situation, working so hard at just trying to get their businesses transformed in all of this, that um, apart from popping in at first, everybody was talking, well, what are we going to do? And then it went quiet, I think, when people were taking action. Right. And actually, I think that's uh, quite a similar experience in with my own clients um, and my own business. So I saw a, a great uptick in communication early on, and then everybody really just went to ground uh, as they kind of you know, bedded down trying to find solutions. So tell us a little bit about your business. Um, give us a, uh, a snapshot of the timeline um, up until today. Okay. Well, basically, I, I've kind of been in the business my whole life. My mum actually set it up in 1982 when I was just four. So I kind of grown up in this business. Um, and then I came into the business about 15 years ago. Um, and we uh, went from one shop to two shops. And over over time, you know, I've taken the, the lead in the business. Um, and yeah, we were real traditional high street retailer, boutique experience, um, you know, lots of loyal, regular customers, real interactive, one-on-one, um, personal service, helping people all the time. And, um, you know, we kind of stayed away from the online model because we felt it didn't represent what we did as a business um, as well as we would. Then, all of a sudden, we had, uh, you know, this, this situation has arrived and we've had to shut our doors for the first time in like nearly 40 years. And, whoa, what can we do? We, you know, we weren't set up for... Um, trading in a new in this new way and it was a shock a real shock to the system so you had absolutely no digital presence whatsoever uh, customers if they wanted to buy something they had to visit your store and all of that is gone now yeah yeah basically we had I mean we had um, Facebook set up and I had um, a you know, mailing list so I could communicate with people but we weren't really actively selling through those channels you know we were building relationships with people um you know digitally a little bit but yeah no the core face-to-face experience was what we were all about and yeah and then that was just basically taken away from under our feet and we we went into shock at first you know how do you deal with this what's the you know what what will we do how long is this going to last um you know so immediately we're like okay you know what we've been putting off doing and not you know thinking about not doing setting up the online and um moving to a slightly more digital channel um we thought well we're going to have to do something like that get it up and running so it was um all hands on deck really to get started straight away um but it has been a good move and you've started to trade through your online presence now how are you attracting customers well it's interesting because um 
you know, you set up you know, an online e-commerce um, shop and, and actually getting traffic to it is not, not that straightforward. Um, so although I, you know, I thought, well, we'll get this up and running, then people can view. It's really difficult when they don't know your business. So if it's people across the country who've never encountered your business before, um, you know, they might not stumble across it that quickly. But what I did have was a really active, engaged, loyal local customer base. And because I was able to communicate them with them directly through email, um, then I was being able to say, look, we, we, you know, you can't come in the shops, but I'm putting our product up online. You can come and have a look, you know, you know communicate with us, um, have a look, maybe order that way. But the actual, the model changed over time. Um, and I started using the social media channels um, more. And I started, you know, um, putting on items of clothing, um, doing photographs of myself, wearing stuff so people could see the the product and doing videos uh video presentations um and that's where things really began to take off because i think with clothing um the whole being able to see it what how the shape works on the on the body um understanding the fabric and the feel you can communicate that with video um you know and and images to an extent um and that was what the customer was missing so once i started interacting with um customers and actually explaining the product and how you could put it together um you know what it felt like what it was made of then actually people began engaging so that was the real key and then that worked in um with the website so people could watch the video have a look on web on the website see you know the price and um, all the other details and then we open up lines lines of communication from there so really email was the key lifeline and then contacting those customers and inviting them onto some kind of digital channel. Uh, are you using Facebook for, for, for this? or? Yeah, Facebook's the main way for us because it's where most of our customers um, you know, are, are cited and, and use regularly. So that was the, the main channel. Um, you know, I use Insta- Instagram a bit as well. Um, and I was looking to set up a YouTube because some of the customers who are on my mailing list don't use Facebook. So I was trying to set up a YouTube channel just to put the videos on, um, you know, just so that more and more people could, could access them. But Facebook was great where um, led business. That was a great way to connect with everybody. Well, I think that sounds like some, you know, great innovation on your part to, to reach your customers. And obviously they've been keen to participate. What are sales doing? Are you able to, Uh, Can you see that this will become a sustainable way of operating? I actually think it's going to um, remain as as a part of the business for the foreseeable future. Um, The feedback I've been getting from people who've either done um, virtual calls with us or phone calls and, um, you know, responded to all all of this new way of communicating is that they love it and don't stop doing it. So we're making plans at the moment to get the shops reopened um, but with, um, a, again, an adjusted model to start with. But this, this um, the video and the virtual shopping stuff will, all, will still run alongside for the foreseeable future, probably well into the winter season, I should imagine, for the people who are still limiting their, um, you know, their, their visits out to their high streets and stuff like that. Well, of course, you're also uh, appealing to, let's say, the mature ladies. So these are kind of 50-plus um, fashions, um, and uh, and and I assume that within that target market, uh, you've obviously got some vulnerable people as well. So some might actually be self-isolating well beyond the uh, the guidelines for the rest of us. 
Um, so I could really see that what you are offering is going to appeal to them in the long term. In fact, I have a colleague who has put himself under a 90-day isolation. Uh, he's looking to revise that, and that's because he has an underlying health condition in, and is at risk. Um, and so he's kind of you know sitting there trying to rebuild his life from you know this self-imposed quarantine. Um, and so I actually think that what you've stumbled on here uh, as an approach might be something that a lot of your customers um, will will want you to maintain on an ongoing basis as a as a permanent part of your business. Um, Kurt Geiger, just interestingly, uh, they, they released a uh, uh, some some news about their stores and how they were going to operate. And what they've said, Joe, is that it's going to cost them seventy five thousand euros more per store to operate to implement the the guidelines to deal with. COVID-19. And some of those guidelines include uh, only one person per every 15 square meters of space. If you try on a pair of shoes, those shoes will be uh, imposed, you know, in quarantine for 24 hours before the next person will be allowed to try them on again. Um, and, uh, and obviously, lots and lots of measures for staff to stay safe with all kinds of various perspex, perspex glass. Um, and they're also not taking cash. Um, Canada have just come out and said, yes, you can sell clothes, but nobody can try them on. So these are all <laughs> measures that are actually really changing the face of how we, how we shop. So in, in, in the context of that, what does that feel like for a boutique owner? You know, how are you going to be able to match the type of preparations and changes that the likes of Kurt Geiger are making? I think in many ways for the small independent retailers, it's easier um, you know, we're much more in control of um, how our environment is set up, um, how our staff work and how we can communicate with customers. And um, I think, what, you know, what's been interesting about this is seeing how small businesses have been able to, um, you know, uh, pivot slightly, you know, evolve their business in new ways um, because you've got, you know, the, the, the key leader and a smaller number of staff that you can communicate and, and and find the way that's going to work for you. Um, you know, we've got a smaller space, but we can definitely manage a one in, you know, one or maybe two in at a time um, in our business. Um, and we've set up an appointment service. Um, so we're going to have a bookable appointments. So people who need that um, guarantee that they're not going to encounter anybody or if they're traveling, we've got a lot of customers who travel quite a long way to come to us. So if they're coming up from London or, or you know, Vista or wherever they come from, um, they can then um, assure that they don't have to queue outside. They're going to arrive on time, and you know, for many of our customers, they're like, "This is a dream," you know, <laughs> um, and th that's something some of the big stores won't be able to provide. You know, if you d if you did venture to um, a town, a big major city town center or shopping center to go to a store, and then you got there and there was twelve people queuing outside, you'd probably just walk away. Whereas we're going to be able to offer people that security that they can just, um, you know, come at the time they want to, um, knock you, know that they're going to be safe and secure in that, that premises and get one-on-one -on -one undivided attention. It's, yeah, I think it's going to be you know, very much welcomed by the customer. Well, it feels like a, a real renaissance in, re in retail from a relationship point of view, because obviously all of this puts you directly in contact with your customers at every stage of the buying process. So what, what does it mean from a relationship point of view for you? 
I really feel that the relationship between um, you know the customers and businesses are going to become much stronger. Um, you know, because of how much thought we've put into um, how we communicate with them, how involved and engaged um, we make them feel with the business, um, you know, throughout this time, um, that their their loyalty will probably be increased. They'll, they'll they'll feel more valued as a customer, and then you know, in turn, hopefully, they'll want to continue to support us. I think you know, consumers out there can see what's happened and how devastating this is to all sorts of businesses um, and particularly our, our, our industry. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of feedback from people saying, you know, I don't know what we'd do if you didn't survive this. You know, I've, I've only shopped with you and nowhere else for 30 years. You've sourced out everything I've ever needed in my wardrobe. You know, what, we'd be lost without you. So I do feel that, you know, even for some people who may not be able to come back immediately, um, that desire to continue to shop um, with us and businesses like ours, um, it's actually become stronger through this. Well, and it's very difficult to see how the likes of Debenhams or House of Fraser um, or any of the department stores are going to be able to match the kind of the, the level of personal engagement and personal service that uh, a boutique uh, owner and, and boutique operator can can provide. And I mean, obviously, we've seen. Oasis and Warehouse has very early, um, uh, very very early announcements through this that they were shutting down. Uh, we've uh, had uh, you know Gap announcing store closures, um, and and a number of brands. I mean, Pier One Imports uh, have also just uh, shut down, um, and I think the kind of the, the CVAs in retail will be quite a long litany of failed businesses. But what you're describing is potentially a, a real boon for the boutique owner that actually can adjust and can adapt. Um, and it sounds like business is there to be had. People do want to buy stuff. Um, are, are you finding that there is enough custom to uh, actually warrant the level of investment and change that you're making now? It's it's a question actually that we we are debating um, a lot sort of behind the scenes because there is a desire um, you know that sometimes clothing isn't always about need um, you know occasionally you need to replace a certain garment but it's always been more of a um, an emotional thing um, a feel good um, you know a, a, almost like a, a pleasure to go shopping and um, and for some people. Um, that's not going to go away. You know, people who love sort of really unusual, different clothing like we we stock, um, they just love it and they will always want to buy things whether they need it or not. But there has been, um, you know, a, a feel for, well, I haven't been going anywhere or my social engagements have been cancelled. Um, you know, I've mostly been wearing gardening clothes for the last few weeks. Um, and do I need anything? And I do feel that um, we need to get open to get a sense of, um, you know which way it's going to go if it's going to fall more towards the you know I, yeah, I'd like to buy but I don't need to or actually I'm hungry to buy because I actually have been wearing all the same stuff for the last six weeks and I feel like I want to pick me up I want to you know I, I've worn something out or I just feel like I'm ready to have a little lift so that I can't predict at the moment. Mm, I have to kind of think about my own uh 
behavior over the last uh, well nine weeks i'm i'm in spain i've been uh, kind of sitting out the, this um lockdown in in spain and uh and it's been nine weeks now in, in fact today was the first day that i visited a large store um which was allowed to open because they shut down half of the aisles so only small stores are, are allowed to open in spain at the moment and everybody has to wear masks and uh, I, um, I really resisted um, buying anything that, um, you know, wasn't absolutely necessary, mainly because um, just in the same way you're describing, I use retail as something um, to do when I want to have a bit of fun. For me, it's actually entertainment. Um, and so I really love going shopping and, and hunting for something. Um, but uh, I haven't felt like I needed that lift and I've been wearing – uh, a uniform of uh, a white t-shirt and a blazer uh, in all of my business meetings over the last eight weeks. So my, 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 my wardrobe has shrunk dramatically in that time. And in some of the conversations that we've had with various guests on the episode uh, that, are, that have been retail related, many have said that their buying behavior has changed. They just simply don't need as much anymore. And uh, in fact, they're wondering what to do with all of these clothes. I think demand will be changed, but you know, retail therapy is is something that we that a lot of us um, obviously use as entertainment, and we get that dopamine kick from it. So, I think it will come back with force. In fact, in China, they're seeing some um, you know really really strong uptick in uh, in demand, um, and uh, and so there's hope for us. Um, as we look to kind of bring our stores back back online, now where where do things go? Um, you know, uh, from from here for you, are you going to be looking at um, putting in any new technology? Uh, what are you going to be doing with your stock? How do you deal with the next season? Um, have you actually got product that is in fashion right now, or do we just forget about fashion altogether and just go with what we've got? Well, we're quite fortunate in the sense that um, the type of clothing we we stock tends to be more timeless and more of a style um, thing than than a high fashion. So, um, you know, we we love the fact that the stuff that we we sell is um, it has a longer shelf life than a you know a high fashion retailer, and that's why people do come to us because their their purchases then have that sort of sustainable um, element where they can. Um, you know have it and keep it and love it and wear it for years so you know we're looking at the stock and saying you know so what of this is relevant to people's lives as they are now um the the climate the weather when people come out to shop um you know what of this might be better held till september as a pre-autumn um sort of collection um so we are assessing what we're doing with the stock that we have in store um and and also we're thinking ahead you know winter Winter deliveries are already committed to in production or produced and will be coming out um, close to the time they would have normally been coming out. Um, but planning for next summer, I think that's going to take a little bit more thinking about because we don't know what the full knock-on effect will be into next year. Um, but actually what we're hoping to be able to do is to move to a slightly more sustainable model where you know we can be more responsive. So um, you know all of this, you know, it's very difficult for our industry because we're working six months ahead all the time. And um, and normally 
that, that's been fine. Um, you know, you can't predict the weather, but you kind of can predict that you will open your shop and you'll know what customers sort of customers are coming in and you can serve those. And now we've got this uncertainty of, you know, will anything like this ever happen again? Um, you know, will people change their mindset towards shopping as a permanent thing, will we ever go back to shopping like we used to? Um, so what we're planning to be is um, a lot more responsive than we've ever been within our business. So trying to buy slightly closer to the season, really honing down on the product type that we sell, what um, is almost, you know, the, the, the stuff that we're known for, the stuff that people come to us for um, and making sure that we really cover those bases um, um, but being responsive on some of, some of the other elements of the business. So we've got a lot of work to do. Well, that obviously does add an enormous amount of just kind of administration, administrative burden because you're having to place more orders more often. You're having to evaluate your stock position. You're obviously having to... Uh, evaluate the trends uh, on, a, on a near constant basis. Um, so I think it's the right model. Um, and I think, you know, it has the opportunity to help you identify shifts and movements in demand and hopefully, you know, buy a product that is as relevant as it can be. So I think as a strategy that, that, that sounds great. Um, but, uh, you know, how practical is that for you? So are you manufacturing in Europe or, or out of the, the Far East? Where does your product come from? The majority of our project product comes from um, Europe. So um, we have the biggest issue for us is that we do a lot of our buying um, overseas. Um, some of the brands we stock, you can only, you can only buy them, um, you know, abroad. They're not represented here in the UK. So... Um, those issues are we've got to address how we're going to deal with that whether we can um, buy virtually you know they're talking about virtual showrooms and things like that which is, which is really difficult um, when you're dealing with um, product like clothing and fabrics and textures and drape and all that sort of thing um, but also it's what we're known for so um, that it's a real challenge for us um, and I think for the whole supply chain I think as well you know how much confidence there is um, in the consumer's mind then feeds back to the the buyer's mind and then goes back to the producers um and i don't know what the knock-on effect for the long term of this is going to be for everybody in that supply chain well of course buying trips and actually going out and uh and, and trying on samples and doing fit sessions these are all important aspects of the fashion buying business and uh certainly Talking to industry professionals, the manufacturing in Bangladesh, Pakistan, Sri Lanka, uh, the Indian subcontinent and China is, is definitely uh, starting to make a bit of a comeback. Um, and they are waiting with bated breath to see who turns up to actually buy the product and, uh, and, and, and order samples. So uh, I think it's still very, very unclear as to how all of that is going to come together. But of course, um, for many people, jumping on a plane, uh, certainly this year, is just not going to be an option. So it's, it, I don't know personally um, exactly what the quarantine rules are. But at the moment, if I did travel, I would have to quarantine two weeks in the UK. And then I would have to quarantine again another two weeks in Spain. Not practical, obviously, when we're uh, trying to, to run our businesses. And so I will be staying put. Um, and I think that will be the mindset for a lot of people that obviously were planning uh, to, to go on their buy trips 
and uh, and to do their sourcing activities. So yes, I think that's going to be quite different. Um, hopefully, video will play a role there. Um, you know, so I guess video online catwalks. And then lots of private uh, face to well zoom to zoom conversations uh, with factories and the like to try and get as close to as possible to that in person experience. Obviously, you can't feel the fabric, you can't see how it drapes, um, but hopefully, you're working with partners that will be able to fill that gap somewhat. Well, you're going to have to, aren't you? Well, that's it. I mean, how do you fill your shops for next year if you don't find a way through this? You know, and we're all in the same position. We, you know, they want to um, be able to show us their stock and we want to be able to see it. Um, so, you know, these challenges are going to be felt for both both parties. But um, actually having experienced it with the consumer side of it, being able to translate um, the product to the consumer, actually maybe that's given me some security that, that it could be possible, you know, when we're dealing with the um, the brands themselves. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that innovation comes to play. One thing is for sure, we know that we have the technology. Uh, PVH actually um, have got a fantastic wholesale technology that they've developed. Um, so um, uh, these are the, the brand o- owners of Tommy Hilfiger, and uh, they have put the most phenomenal wholesale operation together running out of Amsterdam with uh, uh, an amazing online catalog. And uh, and I think they're actually making this platform available to the industry. So I will pull some notes out and send that over to you so you can take a look. Uh, because I think the one thing that we're starting to see now is that solutions for industry are very much required. Um, you know, every single boutique fashion business is going through what you're going through right now. What are the kind of solutions that if there was something that you could pick off a shelf tomorrow and put in your business, um, you mentioned the, uh, the, the, the booking in solution uh, so folks can book a time slot to visit, visit the store. Uh, but if there was any technology that you could have right now that would be a solution for, for the industry, is there anything you can think of that would be? There's already a lot of talk in the industry and it's been, you know, that it's been around for a while about the, um, you know, virtual reality type of shopping experience. And I know that some, some brands have been playing with that where, you know, you could almost have an avatar of yourself and, you know, and see clothes on you. I mean, that was always bandied around and it was a bit like, oh yeah, it's very futuristic. But in a way you get to a situation like this and you think actually people may become open to things that they might not have been open to before um, because of the situation that's, that's arisen. Um, I don't know if that would work for us um, particularly, but um, yeah, we're lucky that we've got the technology we have um, and that we can create that one-to-one experience, you know, just with video calls and stuff that we've never had before. So and for that, we're very grateful for the internet and all the technology that we already have. Um, I I just know for us that 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 personal experience, the you know the being able to, as I say, to to handle everything is so so important for us. Um, and I think in a way that's what will keep our industry going because people do still want you know we're not selling washing machines and things. They do still want to get in and have that experience and um and that's part of it i think that's where where the industry will be moving towards where those purchases as you say may not be necessary but it's not just a purchase it's not just a purchase of an item of clothing anymore it is about 
um, connecting with somebody and having a conversation um, and them asking you how, you know, how, how you're doing and, um, you know, everything about if, how you're coping with the situation or just, you know, what's going on in your life. And that, that experience led um, uh, service is what we've kind of all been wanting to push towards for such a long time. And the technology is helping that even though we're not sort of facing each other one-on-one in the same space, but as we able, are able to come back to that uh, technology supports that um but will gen- genuinely encourage people to come back to the physical environment as quickly as they can because i think they really miss they miss that aspect of the experience of, of shopping more so than they miss the the actual clothes yeah i actually think that's uh, exactly the right point to make so retail uh, isn't just about stuff it's about experiences uh, it's about entertainment value, frankly, and um, and I think uh, deep relationships with the clients is what helps make it even that bit special. So I, I think the the model and solution that you're outlining, certainly the experience that you're having right now, uh, is actually I find overwhelmingly positive. So obviously this is a terribly difficult situation. We're all facing, um, you know, well to put it mildly, difficult times, we might be losing our businesses. Uh, retail is, is certainly decimated uh, at the, the large chain store level. And uh, the story you've described, almost I almost have hope, Joe, that um, the boutique fashion industry and, and the small store owners are going to come out of this better and stronger than ever before. Well, we really hope so. Um, you know, I think that would be like the, the best outcome from the worst situation if we if we came out with people falling back in love with you know that old fashioned kind of the old fashioned way of shopping again would be a beautiful thing. Yeah, so it's just whether we can get our act together because there's going to be plenty of retail space available on the high street. What 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 does the high street look like for you post this? Is it going to be a place that people are going to want to go with so many stores closed? It's really hard. Um, you know, we're watching so closely. I've been uh, into our local town today and we're a market town and it's a charter market. It's part of our history. And they've been so working so hard to try and get it up and running again because it's part of the fabric of the, the town and, you know, and the way it feels on a Saturday. Um, and I felt that there was more people coming out than I've seen for many, many weeks. Um, and it just gives me a sense that people do want to come back and they will probably favour going to their small high street and their small, you know, their butchers and their, you know, smaller um, independent businesses than going off to the big stores and the, the big supermarkets and things like that. Um, so I think it's just, I think it's baby steps all the way. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're coming up to the end of our show. So before we, we, we wrap up, I do have a couple of quick fire questions for you. And uh, I think, uh, uh, well, as, as per my, uh, my norm, I'm going to ask you uh, what your superpower is. But I'm wondering if it's resilience. <laughs> um, oh, my superpower is um, optimism, I think. Staying positive in the face of, uh, of darkness. Well, you're smiling. Yes. You're doing a great job. <laughs> I'm always smiling. You know, I, had, I had a bit of a down day yesterday and, uh, oh, I was like, I don't know what's wrong with me. I normally, I just take things in my stride, take the positive view and then take action. And I don't know what happened to me yesterday, but today I'm back on it. 
Well, these are extraordinary times, Joe. So you have to give yourself a little bit of a break. Um, and, uh, you know, the fact is, it's amazing that we're not all feeling down every single day. So, um, so that's, I think that, that's probably the way to look at it. If you were, if you could have any retailer right now, which one, which one would, would you want to be? Oh, do you know what? I, I'd want to be us. You know, I think from every, for every reason that I've explained to you, the fact that we've been able to adapt and um, actually feel so valued, all the feedback has made us feel so loved and supported. I'm really happy to be us right now. Well, look, the thing is, because you're so community centric, I think that's a real opportunity to allow people to feel human. And it's that connectedness between us that often makes life just that bit more valuable. So I can see that you're playing an incredibly important role. I wonder how the big chains are going to emulate that personal touch and responsiveness and the agility that you've shown. Um, it's going to be interesting because uh, obviously they're running big operations. It's very costly to make changes and finding people that relate to the brand and will you know work with you that relate to the brand and will own it to the same level that you do. I just, I, I can't, I can't quite see it. It doesn't quite manifest in that way. Um, so I think you've got a great opportunity to actually extend your offer beyond uh, the community that has supported you over the years. And uh, it will be interesting to see what your website starts doing uh, and how much of your custom starts coming from international clients. Joe, uh, thank you very much for coming onto the show today. We must have a special shout out for our friend Steph Forrester that uh, connected us. So thank you to, to Steph for the introduction. It's been great having you on and, uh, and hearing about the bleeding edge of uh, boutique fashions. And uh, we wish you all the best uh, for the future and uh, look forward to having you back on the show. Thank you. Well, this was the Bleeding Edge podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Benker. We'll see you on the edge.